As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, happy 2023. Welcome back to Full Time with Meg Linehan. I'm Meg. You are listening to a show all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. So yeah, it's 2023 and everything, as always, is happening all of the time. Steph Young is back for the first show of the year, which we are recording on a Monday because so many things happened today that we just actually had to hop on StreamYard and get to talking. Mike Norris is in as Thorne's head coach. The NWSL dropped a list of corrective actions and sanctions stemming from the joint investigation dropped in December of last year, and the Kansas City Current landed the biggest free agent on the market, Dabinia. Before we get to the rest of today's episode, as always, to show your support of full-time, plus get all of our women's soccer coverage and everything else The Athletic has to offer on our site and on our app, you can subscribe right now at theathletic.com slash full-time. All right, here's stuff. All right, let's let's start. I mean, we have three things to talk about, and this is literally all just shit that happened today. So let's go in reverse. We'll start with Mike Norris being finally announced as head coach of Portland. We both just got off that Zoom with the new head coach of the Thorns and general manager Karina LeBlanc. And, you know, maybe this is not like the news story people are going to like write home about for the day, but obviously this is one piece of a much bigger story in Portland of you have a championship winning team that then has to, <laughs> and you know, their head coach departs after losing the locker room after successfully going through an investigate, like there's a lot to this and Portland is still up for sale. We're going to talk about other parts of this <laughs> that also happened today, but what are your, you know, I can't say that I really knew a lot about Mike Norris before this hire, right? Like it's not, necessarily a name that has been coming up the way that you know other you you think about Houston Dash um who they hire like it's not necessarily an assistant coach that has been on the radar but it feels like continuity was really important for Portland but what were your main takeaways from that press conference we just went through well as is typical for a press conference like this um not a lot of specifics. Yeah. Uh, LeBlanc didn't really go into the specifics of like the job search process, 
what they did emphasize over and over and over again was that this was a coach the players felt comfortable with, mm-hmm. which I can see how that would be your number one priority after everything, including last year. Um, she was kind of asked directly about it by Ryan Clark, who's over there local to Portland. And, you know, again, not like a super direct answer from her and Mike, but it came back to them saying they really wanted to prioritize how the players felt in addition to performance on the field. The other thing I took away is something you brought up, which is not really a known quantity as a coach, like as a public facing persona to the point where you even had Canadian press getting on and being like, so who, who are you? <laughs> yeah. Why did you get into coaching? Like, wh- right. where'd you come right. from? How'd you land in Portland? Um, so congrats. It's now, <laughs> you're now the head coach for one of the most high profile teams in the league. So get used to that. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think, you know, to your point, I was definitely a little frustrated by the lack of specifics when she was asked about the hiring process The two things that we kind of got were, well, I talked to agents that rep head coaches. Okay, sure. I Mm -hmm. guess that should be part of any process. Yeah. Um, And also we reviewed who had previously applied for this position, which sure. Like, I mean, to be fair, they just went through this process (laughs) a little bit over a year ago. Right. So there is going to be kind of this recent sense of like who's potentially interested in this job that hasn't necessarily been picked up elsewhere. But I still think, and this is this is not necessarily a Portland problem. This is still an NWSL problem at large. We don't really know. Like, in theory, I think the Rooney rule is happening, but we don't really know that it's happening, right? And so there is a sense, I, I, re- I retweeted um, Alicia Rodriguez earlier of, okay, so we're now at 12 out of 12 head coaches. Eight of them are British. <laughs> Three of them are women, only two Americans. And so there is kind of the sense of what exactly is the coaching pool looking like? And are we kind of back into this same endless conversation that right. we've, we've Not always had? Coaches. It's just like, <laughs> I, oh. at this point, like, if you're applying to be an NWSL coach, are you faking a British accent, whether you have one or not, just to, like, help you on your I know. <laughs> I know. application? So... Um. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's that's item one. Any any other final thoughts on Portland before we move into, I think, the two kind of much bigger things to talk about? I mean, we'll we'll probably get to it when we talk a little bit about trades and stuff. But again, very tight lipped about their goals for the draft. <laughs> like, yeah, I, know, I mean, I, I know what he was saying, but I as a literal answer, it was very funny because I was like, what are your goals for the draft? And he was like, it's about adding players to the roster. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that is that, that is, is what happens. Technically yeah. what happens when you draft, Bert Happily. I... <laughs> can can the NWSL hire the man that played Bert Happily and get him to announce the NWSL draft? Because yes, it would be longer, but at least it would be funny. <laughs> I know. It's long anyway. So yeah, we exactly. Well. Just, just roll, roll with it. Um, Margaret uh, Sealer had a really good question about I had honestly forgotten how the NWSL draft went for Portland <laughs> last year um, in that they picked up a draft pick who, after the most cursory of glances at social media, you know, it's it turns into a situation of maybe this is not necessarily going to go over well. And Corinne LeBlanc saying social media checks 
are now happening for this team. But, you know, there is a sense of, I asked uh, Karina and, and Mike Norris about, okay, you've won a championship where we'll get into this a little bit later, but obviously free agency things are happening across the league. You have every other team trying to compete and trying to directly be able to, you know, dethrone you. Do you feel good about where the roster is? And there was a sense of we wanted to keep the band together, right? And I thought Mike Norris had a, you know, maybe not a super specific answer, but one that at least was a rational one in that, like, of course, we're still going to be looking and we'll we'll look to, to add to this roster where it makes sense. But we have the convenience right now of time and feeling good about the group that we have, which is, mm-hmm. I think, a very enviable position to be in. Don't they get Lindsay Horan back after the World Cup? Yeah, in theory, that loan is... On loan. So, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of moving pieces where they're like, it's just not as urgent for them to draft well, maybe. Yeah, they do have the fifth overall pick and then the, the last pick of every round. But obviously, this is a... I mean, there is a lot of big talent currently <laughs> in the mix. I do... I do honestly expect there to be some more movement in the the top picks just because anytime, you know, I think last year we, we saw maybe a little bit less movement because everybody was waiting for this draft class. And so now a, not only are we getting the draft class that we always expected, but now you have Alyssa Thompson and other players like that declaring early. So this is starting to get a little more, a little more, a little more stacked. So there are three things you need for the NWSL draft. One, a sweater. It's always in the <laughs> coldest possible ballroom that you can find in the country, no matter that it's always the middle of January. Two, earplugs, if you don't love, like, Best of by Bitha EDM. Mm, 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 yep. <laughs> and third, like, don't hit publish on your draft list because something is going to happen. Don't even, I don't, like, I know the the urge to do mock drafts, but I... I have always just been like, why would like everything go sideways as soon as this event starts? Right. Like somebody (laughs) gets up there and is like, thanks for welcoming to the draft. We are now going to (laughs) trade, you know, (laughs) and you're just sitting there desperately trying to listen and type at the same time while someone announces like this huge thing that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And you're trying to keep track of like, oh, and now we have allocation money. Right. So like it's like picks are moving, money's moving, players are moving. You're just like. Help. Yeah. Help. So also, uh, for those of you who might not know, sorry to Steph, who I'm abandoning <laughs> at the draft on her own while I go to New Zealand to cover the U.S. Women's National Team's two friendlies against New Zealand. So Steph gets to experience the coldest, loudest draft in the country on her own for the athletic. Godspeed. It's fine. This won't come up <laughs> in therapy. It's fine. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's, let's shift into the other big NWSL story of the day in that suddenly mid afternoon, everybody gets an email saying, <laughs> here's all of our corrective actions and sanctions following this investigation. Zero warning to anyone. Mm-hmm. Like no, mm-hmm. no one saw this coming. Steph, uh, since I know you have it open as well, do you yep. want to give us like the brief high level rundown of what exactly came out of this email? Sure. Um, they 
the meta of it is that they've uh, arranged sanctions in tiers or levels according to severity for both individuals and for teams. For individuals, this has resulted in some uh, permanent bans for coaches. So people you might expect, Paul Riley, Christy Holly, Rory Dames, Richie Burke. Um, and then there are other conditional bans where uh, people like Craig Harrington and Lisa Hugh might have to work their way back into becoming eligible to be employed never mind actually being employed for the teams the fines are in three tiers and the top tier is six figures one million plus um they've defined the tiers by like not less than a certain amount of money so top tier uh not less than a million second tier not less than a hundred thousand third tier not less than fifty thousand and you know they considered the severity of the incidences probably they talked you know looked at how long was it ongoing and and that sort of thing. And they also looked at mitigating factors like, did someone make a good faith attempt to like do something about it? It just didn't work out, that sort of thing. So I think that kind of shows where, um, how they sorted these teams into tiers. I'm not sure how you determine racing Louisville 200,000 versus North Carolina Courage 100,000. It's a little bit mm -hmm. granular, but that is the overall feel of it it feels almost like when um something is buffering for a long time and then when it finally does play it hits and fast forward and like you get like all these things popping into the queue one after another right. but i'm glad they announced it yeah so. no I, I mean i think you know we we know that nwsl commissioner jessica berman is going to have a media availability in philadelphia ahead of the draft so i think there is kind of like you have to s set the scene a little bit for that <laughs> press conference of like you, we know that this is what you're going to ask about, so we almost just want to get it out of the way so that way it's done ahead of Thursday. Um, but obviously, I mean, Chicago Red Stars getting hit with a $1.5 million fine. That I think So first of all, I, I do want to say I have asked the league, I don't have an answer yet, what the timeline is on sanctions and fines, if there's a deadline to pay these off, like, because what's really interesting too is so Chicago Red Stars has the biggest fine at 1.5 million, which honestly I think makes sense knowing everything that we know about how the organization handled head coach Rory Dames and the actions of owner Arnim Whistler. Portland also fined 1 million, but what is weird about this one is <laughs> Merritt Paulson announced that he was going to do this big $1 million donation to start the office of NWSL player safety when he announces that he's going to sell the team. But now this is a fine. <laughs> and it feels a little weird to me of if you want it to be a sanction, you shouldn't allow an owner to use it as this sort of good faith, I'm starting the office of player safety. Like, you you should donate a million dollars, but then also pay a fine of a million dollars <laughs> if that's the game you want to play. We also don't know if that donation has been made already. Yeah, we there's it's a little fuzzy on the timeline of events. Like, did he get fined? And they told him like, all right, this fine is going to be used to start the player safety office. And he was like, oh, great. I'll tell everyone that I paid a million dollars to start the player safety. Like, we don't understand the, yeah. the chain of events here. Uh, that does imply to me that, so they said that, um, the it's in are the press be, release. Right, so. right. They, they, they said it. Um, the, the fines are going to be used like for the player safety and stuff like that. So I'm wondering then if you can characterize like starting the player safety office and that sort of thing 
for example, is Arnold Whistler's $1.5 million fine, should it get paid, going to go to the legal teams to help pay off right. the cost of all the investigations? Yeah, because also, you know, in <laughs> in this release, they have this one line being like, okay, organizational fines. And before they get into teams, they actually discuss the NWSL and U.S. soccer. And I will say the one line that they have about U.S. soccer is this little standalone graph of like the NWSL has no control over U.S. soccer is still making me laugh because true. But for the NWSL section, they say, hey, listen, we've incurred millions of dollars of legal fees because we hired Covington and Burling to do our side of the investigation. And they had a legal team of anywhere from 12 to, I think, 12 to 13, you know, 10 to 13 people uh, running this investigation, working nonstop on it, which is a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of billable hours. <laughs> and we're all on the hook for this now. So we're not going to fine ourselves, which I don't know if anybody ever expected the NWSL to sanction itself with a fine, because how would you do that, really? Um, but yeah, there is this sense of, you know, that they have this huge legal bill hanging over their heads. Mm-hmm. All of these fines totaling just under three million ish, right? Like two point nine. So yeah. um, we know that the one million from Merritt Paulson is uh, going to this player safety office, but like how? Because I, I think Chicago should be on the hook for its share of the investigation in addition to the fine, right? Like that is the whole point of a sanction: is that you are doing extra and not just. <laughs> Being like, oh, it, here's our one twelfth of this giant legal bill. Um, right. So it, it is going to be, I think, interesting to kind of watch this shake out in terms of uh, Chicago is also a team right at the moment that pockets are a little TBD, right? Like this is going to potentially impact uh, a sale if you're coming in and you immediately have to shell out. I mean, Lord only knows we don't have any sense of what each share is, but I would assume a million or two for each team, um, you know, that you immediately get handed this bill of like, congrats and welcome. Please play. <laughs> Peace play. Uh, Covington. Thank you. So. Yeah. Well, but the other thing that I'm getting out of this is that this is establishing a rubric for future. Yes you know, sanctions and things like that. So now we have something that's a lot more solid than some nebulous like disciplinary committee or board of governors discipline where we're like, okay, we have the comparison. So in the future, if coach does X, we know that in the past, similar, same behavior. Yeah. There's a heavy fine attached to not handling it correctly. The other thing that I want to bring up on this, well, there's a couple things, but let's start with in the section for Louisville and North Carolina, one of the other notes in the section, in addition to their sanctions, <laughs> is they have to hire women's team-specific staff that reports to ownership. There's no sharing of general manager. There's no sharing. Like, they have to have a dedicated staff, which is also potentially, I would assume, even more than the sanctions that they got hit with in order to fill out a front office staff. So it's not even just $200,000, $100,000, is you have to do the bare minimum. Like you are not, you are not hiring people to run this team. Like you have to step up and actually do this. 
I wonder if this is going to be part of like an overall standard, though. You, you'd hope it would mm-hmm. be that any team coming in no longer has any kind of shared front office staff if they run both and a men's and a women's That staff. rule existed for general managers, right? Because right. we had seen this with Portland <laughs> skirting this for, <laughs> for a really long time with Gavin Wilkinson of you needed a dedicated general manager to run the women's team. And that, that has been in place for a little while. But now it seems like the expectations are no, you got to actually have a, right. a functioning staff. It does say sporting staff. So yes. that may not include things like ticket operations. sales, I think. Right. 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 You can yeah. like combine, which to a certain extent is like, okay, that's fine. It makes sense. They, they should do that. Yes. It, it's economical. But yes, I, I do think that this is, we're also moving into the era of like, you got to do this for real. You, you can't just have a women's auxiliary. You need to come in and be like, my women's team is the main thing. It's like an investment that I'm making. I'm a serious person with serious money, <laughs> right? You got to keep up with Chris and Angie Long over in Kansas and Michelle City. and Michelle and, Michelle, like, and you got to yeah. keep up with Angel City. Yeah, like, come on, guys. Yeah, no, I think this has been like we are now starting to see that influence really, really coming through. Of there is at least a, a pretty decent core group now that is like we're gonna spend money. <laughs> real, we're real not, money yeah yeah like this is like amateur hour is over like your 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 fun little pet projects like that was a nice decade run and now it's time to like truly take the reins off and let's get going and if you don't want to catch up and you don't want to hire a full staff then we'll probably find you again yeah, yeah, yeah. so looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. All right. Anything else from the, I mean, obviously there are that sort of individual thing. Again, like I think, Based on when the joint investigation came out, even, you know, like there was kind of always a sense of, I think it's helpful to have the list of, you know, Freed Benstiti has to go through training <laughs> in order to come back into the NWCL. But there's always been the sense of a lot of people are gone already, right? Yeah. The, the two teams that people felt like needed new ownership are in the process of getting new, like, a lot of this had kind of already naturally resolved itself for better or for worse. Right. And now I don't know, like we're, I think we're finally in the, the future part of this. Right. Yeah. They, they said um, there's going to be some more updates on this before start of season. So that's March 25th. Fifth. I want to say 20 something. Um, Meg, <laughs> let's, let's is- get through this next week for like, <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah i'm i'm eager to see what that is even if it's just a like we hired so-and-so for our office of you know player safety and something but Mm -hmm. you're right in that it's like the 
when you're in the middle of it, it's so hard to it's to just be like, oh, someday, you know, but we're in the someday now. Yeah. Yeah, because we were in the middle of it for like two years. (laughs) And now we're not in theory. Right. Which, like this is. Yeah. And it, it, honestly, it's exciting. It's like I want to see who gets brought in in Chicago. And, you know, we, we have our maybe a, a roster of suspects for Portland. And then we've got two expansion teams coming. One supposed to be Utah and the other. <laughs> we at I, least have three candidates and that's right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously rife with possibility. Yeah, what is really, I think, interesting about those three expansion possibilities, right? You have Bay Area, Tampa Bay, and and Boston, right? And there are, all three are, are fascinating in their own rights. But what I think is really interesting to me is how you have someone like Danielle Slayton involved in the Bay Area group. And then Danielle Slayton literally in charge of the implementation committee for the Yates report at U.S. Soccer. And that, to me, is a really interesting possibility of you have someone who is like living this on a day-to-day basis who could potentially come into this league as a as a core owner right like she's one of the core four in that bay area group and there is maybe a possibility of it's just like monashim getting this role at u.s soccer like you have people who are on the ground kind of doing this work that are maybe going to move into a different role in in the long run and that's not necessarily a bad thing for the NWSL to have. I mean, I don't think I've ever been really shy in expressing that I think Daniel Slayton is probably one of the people I trust the most <laughs> in this universe. Like, yeah, truly, like every time I talk to her, I'm just like, okay, I feel better. <laughs> <laughs> I feel better. Right. Like, I don't, I don't want to burden you with a lot of what you're handling, but like, I feel better. <laughs> this shouldn't have to be your burden, but like now that you've taken it on, it's like, Okay, somebody yeah, somebody yeah. with sense and a brain is at least. Right. So it, it is going to be interesting in terms of how they handle the expansion process, what they value. I mean, Tampa Bay, to me, is just like a giant void of information. We've got a little bit about Boston. Bay Area has been like the most willing to be public, right? And obviously, mm-hmm. part of that is because you look at the, the four players who are at the heart of this ownership bid and like they all have reputations and this is their their project. So I think that makes sense. But yeah, I mean, this is now we are we are in the midst of a lot of change all at the same time. And expansion is gonna play into a lot of the bigger work at hand too. And so how do you show what you're valuing in terms of change at the end of cell and have that reflect in your expansion process? I think what was most exciting to me is that these are just the three groups that are public and kind of have made it past that initial, the first hurdles of Mm -hmm. preliminary vetting of like, can you even, do you even have the money? Because from what we've heard there, there were more groups um, that were interested, but they just, it wasn't necessarily the right time. They didn't have the right investor group. It was a market and everybody saw maybe was interested in yet, something like that. But the interest is there. And I think there's that, you know, not to make it a competition, but there was some conversation about like, wow, NWSL is expanding this quickly before even the WNBA does, like getting to to 14 teams. So, you know, they really are, I think Chris Long put it, he was like, soccer is a rocket ship when I talked to him last year. It really does feel like that where the market is really rapidly expanding 
honestly at multiple levels not just the pro level but we're starting to see things like usl wants to bring mm-hmm. in a division two league and whistle wants to start a division two league and obviously you have the venerable you know the wpsl's uws out there that are chugging along but i think they're all looking at the landscape and going hmm there's a lot of room there's a mm-hmm. lot of room yeah, so. it's going to be, it's definitely, I don't know, it's a very interesting time, like 2022 20, <laughs> was year of um, player power and CBA, and I think this year is going to be really interesting to see, like this this year, I think the theme is going to be change in a lot of ways, and hopefully it's not just change for the sake of change, but it is change for the sake of actually improving the league and making it better and being smart about how you approach a lot of the changes that need to happen. And I don't know, it's going to be having two teams on sale at the same time that you're trying to figure out two expansion teams is a very weird situation for a league to find itself in. Like truly it's not, we've never seen anything like this before in the NWSL. It's always been, you have a team falling apart at the seams and someone desperately trying to like frantically rescue it slash it's getting relocated. And so it's going to be really, I, I just like, <laughs> we've never seen two sales and two expansions in theory on the market at the same time and how those numbers affect each other. Depending on how it plays out, it could be a huge swing of power in the board of governors. We don't know yet. It's, we already sense that that board is kind of changing the composition, the mindset of some mm-hmm. of the newer owners coming in, but two, three years from now, NWSL could just look radically different. I, I mean, you're never going to have an Arnhem Whistler in this league again, right? Like, you're just not. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and, and for <laughs> a number of reasons, you shouldn't. But just in terms of when you think about year one NWSL mentality, right? Of like, <laughs> we got to hang on to year three, guys. Like, we just got to make it. Um, it's, yeah, it's just even... Even where we are right now feels radically different. But then when Mm -hmm. you think about what it could look like by the time 2024 ends, we're going to be in a very different spot. Okay, so let's let's put a pin in that because we have a lot to talk about. That's going to be just a recurring conversation. But I want to finish with the fun news of the day, which is Dabinia. Is it fun? It's me, (laughs) Dabinia. It's the wrong country, but like sometimes my brain just, you know, I, yeah, she has that energy. Like she'll just pop up and like score the most stupid goal you've ever seen in your life. I know yeah, it works. You're just like, oh, Wario, you've <laughs> you've sunk the party again. Wah. <laughs> but we got, you know, what first I want to say. Okay, so Kansas City announces today that they've signed to be off of free agency, two year deal. Um, third year with a mutual option. We have no idea about salary, but it is got to be up there. Um, and when I spoke to Kansas City <laughs> about this deal, they were like, yeah, it actually came together around the holidays. And I just, I should have really asked a question about this, but like, how on earth, just knowing this league, how on earth did they keep that a secret from like <laughs> the end of December until January? Like, that that is a holiday miracle <laughs> of the most epic proportions for Kansas City. <laughs> I mean, we got Dabinia, we got this all of a sudden sanctions press release, like 
It it's just a, been, you know, it's a very, very busy, I guess, draft week. Like we should have known that. Yeah. The, yeah, the yeah. It's not over. Part. Yeah. No, it's. Well, I have like no illusion started. that it's over. Something, <laughs> something is going to happen. Yeah. So. Uh, all right. Well, let's, let's focus on Dabinia because I think there's obviously a, a couple big takeaways here. A, obviously Kansas City's scary, <laughs> first of all. <laughs> But let's start with what it means for the NWL because when when all of this like you know the tweets about Arsenal and and potentially PSG Barcelona like all of these big teams are at least considering the Binia, right? Mm-hmm. I have always been like, listen, the league is going to be okay, it's going to be fine. And then when you think about the Binia potentially moving over, it's like, oh, oh no, <laughs> like that would be because I think you know, and I've I've had a lot of conversations about this, but like, I think it's getting harder and harder for the NWL to be on the calendar that's on in, in terms of the world global schedule, right? And we're heading into world cup Olympics year. You're like, there's always going to be something. So this is only going to get harder and harder for international players to want to come and stay here. And so for Dabinia to elect to stay and, and have the option at least two years, right? And and her agent said, listen, Europe is still a goal for her. So maybe at the end of this, that's it. But to retain and be able to compete salary-wise, I think, with some of these bigger European teams is a good sign. Well, to retain even competing with other teams, because we do know Orlando wanted mm-hmm. Dabinia and they were prepared to offer her the bag. <laughs> <laughs> because like they picked up the bags. they picked up that three hundred fifty thousand dollars in all yeah. those trades, and I'm like, I don't think that they were gonna use that to sign randoms, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. If I were just gonna guess, so maybe that gives you an idea of the scope of what I'm guessing they were prepared to offer her. Um, and either Casey outbid it by enough to be foolish, c- given our <laughs> salary cap, <laughs> which is. Which- to be fair, yeah. we don't know it yet. We don't we know, know this year's salary cap, but like last year's was one point one million. So just keep yep. that in mind. We right. don't know. We should know it soon, I think. But yep. that's still no matter what. Like let's say we're even talking in the three hundred thousand dollar. Like that's a lot of money. <laughs> and yeah. after you sign Morgan Gattrall and Vanessa Di Bernardo off of free agency too. Yeah. So and they're building their little stadium over there, and so I'm just like. Okay, either they severely outbid Orlando, which I don't think they did because Orlando was sounds like they were prepared to just be like, just give her a Scrooge McDuck vault filled <laughs> with coins for her to dive into. Um, Can you Photoshop but- this after we finish <laughs> the podcast of just Davina like leaping into the Scrooge McDuck vault? I know, and you can toss a couple of like NWSL championship medals into there, yeah, or there whatever, but yeah, not great. to jinx Kansas City, but. You know, or Kansas City, I think, is like really setting a blueprint for how to become an enticing club. They're so young. They started, you know, look, just look at the way they started with generic women's soccer team name with generic women's soccer team uniform and everything. And they were just like, no, 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 we got a plan. And they did. And now they have great facility. They're able to bring in someone like Dabinia on a multi-year contract. Like, admittedly, she's 31, but she's still producing like heck. Um, (laughs) And they were championship contenders last year. So if you're a player who's searching for a challenge, maybe you're willing to be like, okay, I'll take slightly less than 
whatever these other people are offering because I want to win a championship. Right. And I I think, you know, Davinian, her quote to The Athletic said the training facilities in the stadium were certainly a factor, but also there is kind of this sense from her and her team of like, I would like to go win more trophies. And KC has shown that they have an ability to at least get to a trophy, (laughs) a trophy (laughs) game. Um, it does feel like on Kansas City's part, like they looked at what happened in that final against Portland. They were like, how do we solve that? Obviously, everybody wants Dabinia, but Dabinia feels like such a one-to-one answer for that final performance against Portland of like just a very flat sort of, if you had like one spark happening, right, that maybe something would have been different. So yeah, it's just, it is definitely like, it's a good day in the end of Bussell. And I think we've already seen that, you know, Karina LeBlanc on, on her press conference saying it is a good thing that Dabinia is staying in this league. And also saying like, I think every team tried, (laughs) tried to at least gauge interest. Yeah. I would love it though, if it planted the seed of like, well, this is something we've talked about for a while now, but like how, what are the other things we can do to keep this league exciting beyond you know like a challenge cup competition or something yeah. so maybe now this becomes the point where the league starts advocating more for like CONCACAF Champions League or an open cup or something like that not that I'm equating open cup with CONCACAF <laughs> yeah League, or yeah I mean you know. I, I think you know I asked if Champions League European Champions League had had come up in any discussions just because you know when I think about Dabinia like, yeah, she's making the Guardians top 100 players list, but like, is her name really in conversation for major international awards, which I think it should be right. Like it should at least be in the conversation. Maybe she's not a hundred percent at the same level of, of someone like actually winning FIFA uh, world player of the year, but like, should her name be on a long list? Yes. Should it be on a short list depending on the year? Quite possibly. Um, Especially considering what Brazil does. And is she getting that attention in the U.S., right? Like, I think we have seen, especially for awards that are (laughs) Europe-based, it is really hard for NWSL players who aren't Megan Rapinoe or Alex Morgan to, or at least, you know, like Katarina Macario is making it into these lists because she's playing in Europe, right? But everyone else it's a real process to get on that radar generally. Um, so does the Bina feel like the NWSL is the spot where she can earn that kind of international attention because it does seem pretty apparent that she wants it. And so I think that's a thing that Kansas city has to feel like they can provide as well. And I asked, this didn't make it into the story that I published, but one of the questions I asked was, you know, that maybe there is this kind of appeal to players of, okay, you go to an Arsenal or Manchester United or like any of these teams. And there is the sense of as important as they are on the world stage in the women's game, they are always going to play second fiddle to the men's team. And that is not the case with the current because they are a standalone team. And in some ways that does hurt these clubs because there's not kind of this instant name recognition but you do have the freedom to just do shit and not (laughs) and not be beholden to this big institutional football club right and I think that was something that they said like yeah we can just 
you know, and we've seen this, they can just kind of throw money at things and they're the ones deciding what they're going to throw money at. And it's very clear that they have thrown at least some money at Dabinia, but like there is a sense of the training facilities, the stadium, the, the ambition mm-hmm. is there. And that is ultimately, I think the direction that NWSL needs to go into if it's going to compete long-term with some of these legacy clubs. That's all I got. That's it. Yeah. So I don't know. That that was our Monday. <laughs> I say was as if it's not 4.52 PM as we're recording and things could still happen. <laughs> yeah. Things can happen until like, I would say about 11, 15, 11, 20 PM. That's after that. I usually, I feel a little bit like I'm uh, safe. You, which, you feel safe. Yeah. A little bit, which as I'm saying out loud, I'm like, Oh, that's not great. Yeah. We're just drinking ourselves right now. Yeah. Uh, Especially in draft week. God, <laughs> what fresh hell awaits. All right. On that note, Godspeed in Philadelphia. Uh, I will be following from a terrible time difference. I don't even know what time the draft is in New Zealand. I have yet to really master. Oh, you're going to be think, in the future, like, too. Yeah, I'm going to be a day ahead. Um, I think, honestly, it's actually not. Th- so if 10 p.m., let's do math live while we're recording. <laughs> if 10 p.m. the day before mm-hmm. <laughs> is 4 p.m. the day after in New Zealand, then 7 p.m. should be like one o'clock in the it's, afternoon. Well, the math you just gave me is plus 18. Yeah, it's plus 18. Okay, MIT. Bad. <laughs> We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out before I go. Um, Steph, thank you for hopping on the show and surviving Monday. Uh, You jinxed it. You jinxed (laughs) it. Come on, man. All right. Thank you to always for Steph for, for hopping on the show. Again, she will be in Philly for the draft. I am sure it is going to be a chaotic night. I am hoping that everybody's bedtime is reasonable and that it does allow everyone to also maybe hop to a second location to uh, commiserate all of the timeouts after before the bars close. We'll we'll find out. Um, I am heading to New Zealand tomorrow, actually, to cover the two women's national team friendly. So, yeah, it's going to be an adventure. It's 26 hours of flying for me. I'm not going to exist technically on January 11th. So, here we go. <laughs> all right. For all things full-time, you can visit fulltimepod.com. There are links for all the major podcast platforms in one spot, plus more information about the show. Now, if you would like to subscribe to The Athletic and support all of our women's soccer coverage, you can do that right now at theathletic.com slash full-time. If you subscribe and then you listen to this podcast in our app, it's also ad-free. All right. My name is Meg Linehan. You have been listening to Full Time with Meg Linehan. I'm still currently on Twitter at It's Meg Linehan. It's the same handle for Instagram. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of New Zealand content, so you might want to follow that. And of course, all of my work is at The Athletic. Full-time does not exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer Michael Zimmerman. You know, Michael survived the Men's World Cup last year. We're in a Women's World Cup this year. So, Godspeed, Michael. He's going to come on the journey with us. From The Athletic, I'm Meg. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to you from New Zealand.